Beloved, I remember when uh, my children, my daughter in particular, went to Gilbert Christian Schools that one of the uh, practices the young ladies, young Christian ladies at Gilbert Christian had was when a young man would ask them to a dance, uh, the first, man, first one that asked they would uh, go to, assuming it went through certain appropriate steps with uh, the parents. Um, in my daughter's case, as I remember, I think all the dances she went to, from her perspective, was, were all uh, purely platonic. Um, but it was uh, the practice that they had. Now, even having said that, they still had to, even as young men, even if my daughter was completely viewing them as friends, the young man still had to call me first to ask permission in honor of what God lays out by virtue of created order. And I remember one fall, 2016, the fall of my daughter Rebecca's senior year, and by the way, when the people, when the young men would call, they would be kind of already vetted ahead of time by my daughter, but I would still have some time with them. Those calls usually only took about 15 minutes. And I remember in the fall of 2016, I was having a business dinner in San Diego, and I got a text from a young man that I knew was going to be reaching out to me for just that purpose. Uh, I'll call him John Doe. And he said, uh, John Doe said, Mr. Miller, uh, he, he texted me, he said, I'd like to uh, talk to you about something. Do you have some time we could talk? And I responded back, and I said, well, John, I said, I'm really looking forward to talking to you, but I'm sorry, we'll have to do it later. I'm busy right now cleaning my guns. <laughs> he responded back and said, Mr. Miller, you're scaring me. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I remember another occasion in October, actually October 25th, I still have it on my calendar, I had the talk with a young man named Ryan Anderson that Rebecca will be marrying here on September 16th in a short time. The talk I had with Ryan was much longer. It was about an hour. And he wanted to pursue my beloved daughter romantically for the first time, so he reached out to me again. He was vetted by that point, but it was still was a valuable time for me as a father to ask him some specific questions. I began by saying, once we connected, I said, well, how can I help you? I'm not going to make it any easier for him. If he's going to be a man, he's, he's got to step up. And when he expresses his desire, I say, well, tell me why you're interested in my daughter. And then I get a little more to the point that I'm really interested in. That's a big part. Tell me about your family. Tell me how your father treats your mother. Tell me, and by the way, that's a very, very important question for you men to ask people, young men that would seek your daughter Tell me about your life and career goals. Tell me about your hobbies, sports, etc. I want to find out what his life disciplines are. If a man is disciplined in one area, he will be likely disciplined in other. If he's not in one area or more, he may not be disciplined in others. But then, really getting into zero, I'd say, well, tell me the gospel. And I would usually do this in a fashion such as, pretend I'm an unsaved friend of yours, and I come to you, and I say, I want to be right with God. What would you tell me? Because I want to understand his understanding of the gospel. You see, beloved, as we are coming into God's charge to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5, we know that God wants the husband, the potential husband, to be the protector, provider, and prophet. And in case you're wondering, in my hour-long conversation with Ryan, I gave him an A-plus when he was done. Beloved, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We know that men and women are both made in the image of God. Both men and women are redeemed by the grace of God. Men and women are equal in created dignity and equal in redemptive 
privilege. And there is a hierarchical order that God has put in place between husband and wives, modeled even after the hierarchical order within the triune Godhead himself. There is an ontological equality equal worth of essence and value and there is a hierarchy ordained by God and the husband is to be among other things the wife's protector provider and her prophet beloved here the word of God as I read verses 25 through 33 which is the entire passage that God gives in this discourse from the apostle Paul to the husbands our text this morning are verses 28 through 30 but listen as I begin reading in verse 25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but so that she should be holy and blameless." So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, But I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself. And let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Beloved, this is the word of God that has been read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. Now, the outline this morning is a bit difficult. It's interesting in this entire section, it's a little bit of a challenge to come up with an outline because what the Apostle Paul does as he is superintended by God, by the Holy Spirit, as he writes this, as he ping-pongs back and forth between husband and wife and Christ and the church, husband and his bride and Christ and his bride. But what he does right here at the beginning of verse 28 is he restates the command. We know from last week, we know even as we just read beginning in verse 25, that God commands the husband to love his wife. God had commanded the wife to submit to her husband back in verses 22 through 24. As we mentioned last week, we might expect after reading God telling the wife through Paul to submit to her husband that he might then turn around and tell the husband's husband, lead your wife. But no, the prime summary apex command from God to husbands is love your wife. This is your supreme duty. Husbands, love your wives. Agapao, this agape love, this sacrificing love, a sanctifying love, a purifying love. We see that in verses 25 through 27. It's also a practical love. We understand the high standard. We understand the ultimate goal and end goal. At the same time, we realize that all the kind words and all the fine wishes won't replace helping your wife with the dishes, one person said. There is a practical aspect to this purifying, sanctifying, sacrificial love. 
But what Paul does here in verse 28 is he strengthens the command that had already been given back in verse 25 by reminding, in case we missed it three verses earlier, he reiterates, he recapitulates. Apparently, there are some thick-headed husbands in Ephesus and Gilbert that need a reminder. So three times in verse 25, 28, and then again in verse 33. Here, though, in verse 28, our text, he says, so husbands ought also to love their own wives, must also love their own wives. This is an obligation. The word translated as ought comes from owing a debt, not that you husbands owe your wife a debt. We owe an eternal, infinite debt to our God and Savior for our salvation, and a manifestation uh, response to that is for you men to love your wives. And This agape kind of love is the most magnanimous, the most far-reaching, the most intentional intentional of all the loves, of the philistia love, the brotherly love, or the storge, the family kind of love, or even the eros, the sexual attraction kind of love. This agape love means loving because it's right for you men to love your wives. It is because you will to love your wife. It's an act of the mind and of the will. This means, by way of reminder, that you set your love upon your wife and you love her and only her relentlessly with a sacrificial steadfastness, we could say. That it means it manifests in your active and unceasing care for her well-being, for her shalom. It encompasses what we talked about last week, the affection of the Philistia kind of love, as well as the attraction of the Eros kind of love. But it is infinitely above them, but it does encompass them. It means you respect her, honor her, guard her, protect her, provide for her, and even preserve her. Grabbing some words that will come as we continue our walk in unpacking these three verses. Now, One of the things that may jump out to you is you'll see the little word own, your own wife, three times here in verse 28. Actually, the Greek word that is translated as own, O-W-N, appears four times in verse 28, again in verse 29, and we already saw it back in verse 22 with God's charge to the wives of submit to your own husband. So women are not called to submit to all men. Women, wives are called to submit to their own husbands. So also here, husbands, love your own wife three times to help us understand the exclusive relationship between a husband and a wife, between a wife and a husband. It's even as I mentioned Paul, and as we read through here, Paul jumping back and forth between the marriage relationship with husband and wife and the beautiful redemptive relationship between Christ and the church. We understand that Christ's love for his bride, for his adopted children, for the church is exclusive and particular. So also in the same way, men, your love for your wife is exclusive and particular. You are to be a one-woman man. You are to love her with this high, infinitely lofty standard that God gives for us here. I've heard stories of husbands that have in counseling or even in casual conversation have wondered, you know, do I love my wife too much? 
Really? Interesting question. Well, let me ask you, hypothetical man that would wonder that, do you love your wife more than Christ loves the church? If the answer is no, since the answer is no, of course not, then you don't love your wife too much. John Chrysostom, he was a 4th century Archbishop of Constantinople called Goldenmouth because he was an expository preacher in the fourth century. He said these choice words about this dynamic. Uh, Chrysostom said, have you seen the measure, and he's addressing husbands, have you seen the measure of submission? Here also the measure of love. Do you men desire your wife to submit to you as the church does Christ? Then you care for her as Christ does the church. And if it's necessary, you should give your life further or be cut to pieces a thousand times or endure anything whatsoever. Refuse it not. Christ brought his church to his feet by his great care, not by threats nor any such thing. So you men conduct yourself toward your wife. And man, it really comes down to this. Are you going to do what the Bible says? Yes. But you don't know how difficult it is. Uh huh. But are you going to do what the Bible says you must do? Well, yeah, but you don't, you don't know what she's like. Got it. Are you going to do what the Bible says you are to do? That's the question. Period. End of story. Beloved, this is the agape love of a husband. Now, Coming to the outline we have this morning as we continue in our passage, we can say that the agape love from the text protects, the agape love of a husband protects, provides, and preserves. And the word preserve is kind of a sterile word to capture the weight of it. Uh, But again, it's a bit of a challenge coming up with one here. And the intent is, and this is even the sermon title, this is the husband-to-be and the man-to-seek part two. For you men who are blessed to be husbands, this is the kind of husband you are to be. For you young men that would desire to be a husband, this is the kind of husband you should be. Uh, you young men, this is this kind, many virtues here you should emulate and you should follow even just as a man. And you women, you wives, this is how you can pray for your husbands to strengthen him and encourage him towards this. And for you single women that would desire to be married, this is the kind of man that you should seek out. Uh, you should seek out. And what we have here is another comparison. We saw a comparison for the wife. The wife is to submit to her husband even as the church submits to Christ. In verse 25, the infinite lofty standard, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There's another comparison here. It's a comparison, though, with, in one sense, a deeper connection. We continue verse 28. The husband ought to love his wife as, that's where the comparison comes in, as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So the comparison or the focus in verses 25 through 27 is the bride. The focus in, of the teaching here, verses 28 through 30, is the body. And one point One point that Paul is bringing out here is that you men, all of us, of course, but he's addressing the men, you men have a natural God-given instinct of self-protection as part of God's created order. Even before the fall, 
if Adam had stubbed his toe, he would have said, ouch. There will be no pain in heaven, but there was pain before the fall. We know this because as part of the curse, we read in Genesis that the pain of the woman in childbirth will be increased. So pain was increased, but there was pain, and it was a God-given self-protective measure from the man and the woman, even in the Garden of Eden. So it's right and appropriate. But we can pause for a second and say, well, we just read, I mean, normally, I think when we look at teaching in Scripture, they normally go from the lesser to the greater. And what it seems to be the case here is Paul is going from the lofty, infinite standard of Christ's love, and he's descending to the low standard of self-love. I mean, is this simply an appeal to base self-interest? How are we to understand what he's saying here in light of the biblical doctrine of the beauty of Christ and the ugliness of man. We realize that you don't need to think about loving yourself because it's natural. So a point that he has here is also your love for your wife should be something as natural as loving yourself. But how is this not that base appeal? Beloved, The main point here is Paul is reminding you husbands that your wife is part of you from God's created ordinance when he established and ordained marriage in the Garden of Eden. That's why he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh. So Paul pointing back, in fact, he's going to quote from Genesis chapter 2 when we get to verse 31, 32, and 33. But Paul here is already beginning to bring out and remind the Ephesian believers or instruct them, if they need to be instructed, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And what we understand, telescoping back out, verses 22, 23, 24, through 33 of this charge to wives and husbands is God is not calling us to a new standard. God is recalling us back to the beauty, purity, and fidelity that God established at the beginning, in the beginning at the Garden of Eden. And we can lament and wonder why is marriage, marriage has been under attack in the United States of America from day one, but just the increasing intensity, we can wonder why is marriage under such attack? Beloved, understand this, this is not a 21st century question. This is a Garden of Eden question. When Satan came and tempted Eve right at the beginning, Satan was attacking the foundation, not just the veracity and the trustworthiness of the word of God, which he did, which, which the enemy did with his words, but even by virtue to going to the woman rather than the man, Satan was attacking the foundation, the created order that God had put in place. Beloved, bringing you back even to the 21st century, as this dying world breathes its last breaths of depravity, we together are in a sanctified rebellion against this onslaught. But Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, you can listen, you can turn there. Beautiful words. The first recorded words from man or woman was an outburst of poetic language of excitement and joy from Adam when God brought Eve to him. And you may remember Genesis 2, 23. Adam said, when God brought the woman to him, this one is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because this one was taken out of man. 
You see, Adam instantly understood that God has brought him exactly what he needs. And they are one flesh, verse 24, which will be quoted even later here in Ephesians chapter 5. In Christianity, the mathematics, I mean, Gary was teasing me last Sunday when he started talking about math and formulas and so forth when he was up here, but that's a side topic. But in Christianity, the mathematics of marriage go this way. One plus one equals one. And in the ultimate gestalt, the latter one is greater than the sum of the former ones. We can Frame it this way, what is like, there's a riddle that has been stated, what's most like half the moon? Half a wheel of cheese, half a ball? No, what is most like half of the moon? The other half. What is most like a husband? Your other half, your wife. What is most like a wife? Your other half, your husband. Men and women, beloved, are different, and viva la difference. But a husband and wife are more alike than anything else in creation, in the economy of God. This is the one flesh that God laid down in the Garden of Eden that Paul appeals to here as part of his exhortation to the husbands to love your wife. So the key to understanding this is this comparison here, this as, doesn't mean you merely love your wife as you love your own body. That is a point. More to the point, though, it encompasses that. But it means, men, you love your wife as being your own body. This here is not merely comparison. This is also identification. When you love your wife, you are loving yourself because God made you one flesh when you took the holy vow of marriage with your beloved bride. Beloved, the members of the body of Christ, we see in verse 30, are part of him. As the branches are part of the vine in Jesus' uproom discourse in John chapter 15, so also the wife is part of the very life of the husband. And because you and your wife are one flesh, loving your wife is not merely a matter of loving someone else as yourself, but of loving yourself. And this means, and we can extend the illustration that God uses through Paul, when your body's dirty, you clean it. When your body is cold, you warm it. When it's hungry, you feed it. When your body is tired, you give it rest. When your body is uncomfortable, you comfort it. When it feels pain, you care for it. When your body is in danger, you protect it. You protect it. That's the point I jumped out here. You see, someone who doesn't care for his body, we understand, is at best unbalanced and at worst is psychotic. And what Paul is saying here is a a husband that doesn't love his wife is at best unbalanced and really is psychotic. It's not just wrong to neglect your wife and her needs and her desires and her goals and her cares. It's psychotic. It's like starving your own stomach or stabbing yourself in the leg. Practically, this means that whatever needs and desires your wife may have, whether they be physical, emotional, spiritual, or relational, you seek to meet them accordingly in Christ, in Christ. She is, men, the treasure hand-selected by God and given to you by God. So you care for her and you protect her. 
And you understand even hearkening back to the dazzling beauty of the bride that we saw back in verses 26 through 27, that the more she is loved, the lovelier she will become. The more she is valued, the more valuable she becomes. And you make her physically safe and make her feel physically safe and relationally safe, physically safe. If someone or something threatens her, then you let them be like Leroy Brown who learned a lesson about messing with the wife of a jealous man. Jeff Thomas, the Welch pastor, had this nice quote. He said, a nice wimp is better than a nasty bully. But best of all is a man who boldly and biblically seeks to represent Christ to his wife. The stronger he is in Christ, the stronger she becomes. And the stronger she becomes, the more she helps him and helps make him stronger still. Men, do everything in your power, moving from the physically safe aspect to the relationally safe aspect. Do everything in your power to let her know there is no other woman in the world for you. If you could line up all the women of the world and pick a thousand You would pick one, you would pick only her, and you would be content and satisfied. Beloved, God fashioned marriage, he formed marriage, he framed message, any marriage, and he sustains marriage, the marriage relationship. The father ordains marriage, the son models marriage, even as we see here, and the Holy Spirit empowers marriage. And This is why, even going back to the created order, there is still in the heart of men and women a deep, profound longing to be truly, genuinely, and lastingly loved by a person of the other gender. Even those that are attacking with vicious vehemence the institution of marriage in our country and the Western world understand this. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in the heart. I'm going to read a letter penned by Martin Lloyd-Jones to his wife in 1937 as the doctor was boarding a ship to go to America. He was going to be a part from his beloved Bethan for four weeks. And this is what the doctor wrote. He said, my dear Bethan, The fact I'm writing to you from here on this particular date is altogether wrong and makes me feel very odd. As far as I can remember, this is the first time ever I have written to you for your birthday. I hope the ship letter telegram that I sent you this morning arrives safely on your birthday morning. The authorities told me there was no doubt about it. I had endless pleasure and happiness in sending it. I somehow felt I was in touch with you once more. In in this awful distance of separation, a thing like that is a great help. But oh, what a poor substitute. I can't describe the various feelings I have experienced since I saw you last on Waterloo Station, and I'd better not try to do so. Let me say just this much. Thinking of you gives me endless happiness. And I am more certain than ever that there is no one in the world like you, nor even approaching you. Not in all the world. I don't know if I'm losing my reason, but I often feel you're with me and that I could almost talk to you. I have at times tried to imagine where you all three are. They had two daughters. And what you're doing. I would give the whole world if you could have been with me. But there I must be content to look forward to some four weeks from today when I shall 
God willing, be back with you. Again, looking into your eyes and sitting beside you. And he finished his letter with these words. If you could see my heart, you would be amazed at how great is my love. I hope you know. Indeed, I know that you know. In spite of all my failings, I can do nothing but say again that from the human standpoint, I belong entirely to you. Beloved, that is a manifestation of the agape love that God charges all husbands to do. And as I mentioned last week, it is only in Christ, it is only with the equipping and strength of the Holy Spirit and the newness of life that we can do this thing. If you are not in Christ, man, there is a word of hope for you, but the only word of hope is to come to Christ. Put your faith and trust alone in Christ alone. Ask him to be forgiven for your sin, and he will make you a new creature, and the Holy Spirit the third member of the triune Godhead will dwell within you and would enable you to live in such a manner. So agape love purifies, it protects. It also provides and preserves. And it shuts down cell phones. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that happens to the best of us. It provides and it preserves. It purifies, back in verses uh, 26 and 27. It protects, we just saw it, provides and preserves. And I love what he says here in the middle of verse 29. And this is the key phrase. If you want to pick out a key phrase in verses 29, excuse me, uh, 28 through 30, it is this. But nourishes and cherishes it. Physical nurture, emotional warmth, spiritual growth. Let's for a moment unpack these rich, beautiful words that God gives us. Nourishes, agape love nourishes. This literally means provide food. Uh, the root of this word, the root is trepho. The word Paul uses here is ektrepo. And you'll remember that when, in the Greek, when you put a, a preposition at the beginning of a word, it intensifies that word. In Matthew 25, verse 37, you read these words. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, trepho you, or thirsty and give you drink? But this is ectrepho, provide food, feed, nourish. The, this compound word of that word feed plus a preposition to make it intense appears only twice in Scripture. Here in Ephesians 5.29 and then just a few verses later in chapter 6 verse 4 where it's part of God's charge to parents to bring up their children. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, same word, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Beloved, the point here is God, men, God ordains you to be the provider. I mentioned, I don't know if it was last week or maybe when I preached through verse 22 that I made a flat-out definitive statement husband you should discipline yourself you should work and aspire so that your wife should never have to work I qualified it then I'll qualify it again I did not say your wife should never work man you should discipline and live your life and be the kind of provider God would want you to be with the appropriate expectations as you shepherd your entire family so that your wife never has to work if she works the Proverbs 31 woman would consider a field before she would go out and purchase it. All women fine, but she should not have to insofar as it depends upon you. Nourish, feed, physical nurture is what he's talking about. And cherish, 
cherish. This word translated as cherish literally means to warm with body heat. It's used in the Old Testament of a mother bird, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of a mother bird that would warm her little babies and her baby eggs by virtue of her body heat. In Deuteronomy 22, verse 6, you read the words, a mother sitting on the young or on her eggs. And it's that same Greek word translated as cherish in Ephesians 5.29 that translates the Hebrew word of a mother sitting on her eggs. Or even better, Job 39 verses 13 through 14. And by the way, just in anticipation, ostriches, the nest of the ostriches is on the ground. They dig out a little hole and then they lay their eggs in the hole on the ground. That's the physical dynamic behind what Job says, or what we read in Job 39, verses 13 through 14. The ostrich's wings flap joyously with the pinion and plumage of love, for she places her eggs on the earth and warms them in the dust. Warms them, cherishes them in the dust. The only other appearance of this word translated as cherish here in Ephesians 5 is in Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, where he says, we as the leaders prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Tenderly cares for. This leaves no room. We've already seen, if we understand agape love, agape love, sacrificial love, leaves no room for tyranny, no room for domineering, no room for overbearing headship or leadership. So also tenderly cares for. That's God's charge to you men. So you keep her warm. You cherish your wife. You comfort her. You tenderly care for her. And on a Side note, I remember when my beloved Margie and I were first married, and when her eyes were shut, I kissed her on her shut eyelid, and I remember we were living in an apartment. We'd only been married a few months, and she said, I never forgot it, and I remembered it all my life, still do to this day, obviously. She said, when you kiss me on my closed eye, you're saying, I cherish you. I remember when she told me that, never forgot it. Winston Churchill was at a banquet in London, and he was asked if you couldn't be, I mean, he was the prime minister of Britain, but he was asked the question, if you couldn't be what you are and had to be another person, who would you most like to be? And the room, the story tells us, just went silent. People wanted to hear what the great Winston Churchill had to say. He stood up, paused to take hold of his wife's hand and answered, if I couldn't be who I am, then I would most like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. That's a good thought. Beloved, in 1 Peter 3, 7, turn there for a moment. I'm just going to grab this. This could be a sermon or two on its own, but I want to grab a few thoughts to kind of expand on this whole dimension of protecting and providing and even preserving. And by the way, the whole preserving comes from the cherish of the preserving to be everything that she is and can be for the glory of God, for her joy and for your blessing and for your children's ministry. First Peter 3, 7, he says, you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So, Coupling together God's counsel in Ephesians 5 and God's counsel through Peter here, we can say that 
the agape love that you husbands are commanded to display towards your wife, you love her, means you love her with consideration, chivalry, and communion. With consideration, live with your wives in an understanding way. We, we understand, you understand, you don't have to learn to love yourself. The whole psychological construct of you need to love yourself, you need to forgive yourself, you need to have esteem in yourself is a joke. The problem, part of, at the root of the problem of all sin is all human beings love ourselves way too much. We don't need to learn to love ourselves. You husbands don't need to learn to love yourself. And in a certain sense, you don't need to learn to love your wife. The reason why she's your wife is because you loved her in the first place. But you do need to learn your wife. That's what he is saying here. You need to be a lifelong learner of your wife in consideration of her. Learn her personality, her fears, her goals, her needs. Learn her wants, her interests, her dreams, her joys, her sorrows. Learn her problems. Learn her thinking process. Learn your wife's desires and motivations, her feelings, her spiritual giftedness. Become, again, a lifelong student. So you love your wife with consideration. Secondly, you love your wife with chivalry, as with a weaker vessel. I mean, you men may be in a discussion with a liberal at work, and you may say to the liberal, facts don't care about your feelings. That's all well and fine, but don't you dare ever even think about saying that to your wife. <laughs> I, hear, I hear some wives, some amens and wives here. And I say this for two reasons. So one, I'm not saying this primarily because you'll get in trouble, which you will. <laughs> that's evident here. I'm saying because this goes in direct violation of the counsel of God. Live with your wife in a considerate manner, in a chivalrous manner. We can ask the question, we can consider a beautiful piece of antique china and a plastic bowl. Which is more fragile? The china. Which is way more valuable? The fact, the very fact that the china is more fragile means you treat it with even greater care. That's the point the Apostle Paul is bringing out here. My daughter Rebecca tells me that like when she's with uh, men other than myself or her brothers or Ryan or some other men, she'll go up to a door off time and then they'll just kind of sit there and wait there because she's waiting for someone to open the door for her. Men, do those little things because the little things build up to the big things. So love her with consideration. Love her with chivalry. Love her with communion. Peter says, grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So the point here, men, is even more important than the fact that your wife is part of your body, even more important than that is the fact that she is part of the body of Christ. She is your sister in Christ. So consideration, chivalry, communion. I'll toss a force forth in here. Love her with common sense. And Peter finishes verse 7, so that, he in a purpose statement, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What Peter's saying here is if a husband doesn't have enough sense to love his wife well, to treat her well, to care for her well, why should God listen to him? And the point is, he won't. I can't be right with my God if I'm not right with my wife. Beloved, men, a Christ-like husband loves his wife. 
sacrifices for his wife, protects his wife, provides for her, leads her, builds her up, treasures her, and enjoys being one with her. Know her properly and love her thoroughly. Finally, we finish our text at the end of verse 29 into verse 30, back to the original comparison that he gave back in verses 25 through 27. He says, just as, middle of verse 29, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And it's interesting, the word translated as members here, we've seen it earlier in Ephesians, you can see it in 1 Corinthians 12, see it in Romans. Nowhere in Scripture does the Greek word translated as member ever mean a member of an organization. It is always used to describe member of an organism. There's a distinction there. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, speaking to all believers, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Men, all of us, men and women in Christ. Christ has made us part of himself in a profound, indissoluble union. And that is the pattern, men, that God is reminding, and women, reminding all of us of the beauty of the marriage relationship. John Stott said, by way of application, the husband is to love the wife with what's sometimes termed Calvary love. No higher standard is conceivable. A Christian husband who even partially fulfills this ideal preaches the gospel without, without ever opening his lips. For people can see in him that quality of love which took Jesus Christ to the cross. Robertson McQuilkin was the president of Columbia Bible College. Under his leadership, Columbia's enrollment doubled. Two radio stations were founded. The school noted in his tribute, in Dr. McQuilkin's testimony, when he went home to be with the Lord five years ago in 2016. Robertson met his wife, Muriel, when they were both students at CBC. During their 55-year marriage, they raised six children and served for 12 years as missionaries in Japan. Both eventually came to be employed by CBC, by Columbia Bible College, Muriel taught and McQuilkin became president in 1968. Muriel developed Alzheimer's disease. When it happened, some of McQuilkin's, Robertson's friends encouraged him to put her in an institution. He chose instead to leave his prestigious position as president of CBC. He announced that he would resign to devote full time to his beloved wife, Muriel. His two-minute resignation speech reverberated around the world. I encourage you to duck, duck, go it and listen. This is what he said. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one because circumstances dictated it. Muriel now, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped. She becomes very fearful and sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. You see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part, and I'm a man of my word, but as I have said, it's the only fair thing. 
She sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. I love this. It's not that I have to. It's that I get to. I love her very dearly. And you can tell <clears throat> it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Men, how are you loving your wife? How are you serving your wife? How are you caring for your wife? How are you purifying your wife? How are you protecting your wife? How are you providing for your wife? How are you preserving your wife? Whatever the answer to that truthfully is, proclaims a gospel. Which gospel is it proclaiming? Please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we praise you and thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you for our salvation in Christ. We thank you for the infinite, eternal, glorious truth of Christ as the bridegroom and the church as your bride. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on behalf of us by virtue of your agony and your torture. Lord God, we are forgiven for our sins. Thank you for taking the punishment. Do me, do us in Christ on your person at the cross. And we praise you and thank you for the majesty and the wonder and the perfection of your creation. We thank you even for your perfect wisdom where in your divine decree and in your sovereignty you, you decreed that you would allow sin to enter into your perfect creation for your glory, for your eternal joy. And we praise you and thank you that you rescue a people for your glory. We praise you and thank you that in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, on day six, you established the beauty, the most wonderful sacred union at the human level of marriage with the most glorious, wonderful picture and truth being lived out of the work of salvation, Lord Jesus, that you do on behalf of your bride. Lord, we pray that you would bless the marriages in this church for your glory, for the joy and blessing and growth and encouragement of the wonderful wives, and for the joy and blessing and sharpening of the husbands. It is for your glory and for your honor, Lord Jesus, that we pray, that we sing, that we do all these things. Amen.